Young people, I will be addressing you a lot, so look at me. Don't go to sleep. You're too close. I can walk down here and slap you if I need to on the head, wake you up. But you have completed and you have finished a very important uh, time in your life. And in the words complete and finished are significant words. In fact, in London recently, there was a national linguistics championship, a world, well, international linguistics championship, where they invited the best speakers and language experts from all over the world to come. Competition went on for several days, and finally, it went down, it came down to the final person. It was a man named Sam Sunder, and if Sam Sunder answered well, he would win the international linguistics competition. If he didn't, the person behind him would win. So here's what the moderator asked him. Sam Sunder, explain to us the difference between complete and finished. Most dictionaries, the the moderator said, struggle with differentiating between complete and finished and explain it in a way that the average person can understand what it means differently to be complete or finished. Sam Sunder thought for a minute, cleared his throat, and he said, complete. When a man marries the, white, the right woman, he is complete. Guys, listen to me. When he marries the wrong woman, he is finished. <laughs> and if he's married to the right woman and she catches him with the wrong woman, he is completely finished. <laughs> it said he received a five-minute standing ovation. He won the competition. He got a free trip around the world. Thank God this morning you guys are not completely finished in life. You have completed some big steps. And many people in this room have completed some big steps. You have finished some important things. But there will be a time in your future, young people too, I hope it's a long way for you guys, but when you will be completely finished, when life here will be over and we'll stand before God and we'll have to give an account for how we live. And this is not a judgment sermon. This is a sermon that what I want to try to get you and I to focus on is how can we stand before God someday and have him look at us and really honestly say, when your life was finished, when it was complete, you ended it well. You lived your life well. Mark chapter 12, I think we're going to see two things. If you have your Bibles, Mark 12, if not, will be on the screen. Two things that Jesus says that if every man, every woman, every young person in here will do, you'll start doing it right now in your life, that you will hear God say to you someday, well done, well done. Here's the first thing. Love Jesus Christ above everything. Love Jesus above everything. Now, folks, this is simple stuff. It's just real hard to do. And it's funny, when it comes to the Bible, people would rather study something that's complex and easy versus something that's simple and hard because that's what we're lazy. That's why that's true. But if you want someday, you young people, when you stand before God, hopefully that's 80, 90 years from now, if you want want God to look at you and say, you lived your life great, you make a decision now to love Jesus above everything. In verse 28, this story begins, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him of all the commandments, which 
is the most important. Now, here's the background. Jesus had just been arguing or debating with a group of religious people called the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were one group, and the Pharisees were another group. If you've been in church much, you've heard those names. They're kind of the religious leaders and the elites of this day. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And Jesus had just sizzled the Sadducees. I mean, he had just put them in their place, silenced them. Pharisees like that. But the Pharisees, too, they're wanting to challenge Jesus. So one of them comes up and says, hey, teacher, of all the commands in the, in the law, what's the greatest? Now, in Jesus' day, they had taken the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, your 39 books of the Old Testament, and they had counted up that there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. You get that? 613. They said 365 are negative, 248 are positive. They argued over which is the heavier laws, which was the lighter, heavier, meaning it carried more weight. Light mean it didn't carry as much weight. Some said it was adultery. If you committed adultery, that was the biggest no-no. Some said it was your ceremonial hand washing, washings or, or how you wore your tassels on your robes. I mean, they went extremely goofy with this. And Jesus just cut right through the chase in verse 29 and 30. The most important one answered Jesus is this. And I guarantee you when he said this, there was passion in his voice. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, if you're taking notes, this is almost a direct quote from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. This was called the Shuma, And the, the Shuma that, that comes from the word here, the first word of that passage, here, O Israel. This was one of the most important passages to a Jewish person. In fact, it still is. In Jesus' day, a devout Jew would get up every morning. He would quote this verse, these two verses. Every night before he went to bed, he would quote this verse. And their synagogues, before they started worship services, they would quote these verses. These were foundation to them. And here's what Jesus said. He said, guys, look, all the, okay, if you want to count 613, I'm going to tell you what's the number one thing. The number one thing 2,000 years ago, the number one thing today is this. That you love God and you love Jesus, God the Father, Jesus the Son, Jesus is God in the flesh. You love Jesus Christ above everything else in life, okay? Now, let's put some handles on that because it's easy to say that. It's easy to argue that or debate that. What does that mean practically? Number one, it means you enter into a relationship with Him. I'm going to say this a lot this morning. I've heard people all my life, especially as a minister, say, I love Jesus. I love, and they always say it in a funny way because, you know, they're being spiritual. I love Jesus. If you love Jesus, at some point you have given your life to him. You may have been confirmed or sprinkled or baptized, anointed. You may have been lifted up on high. But if, if you have never given your heart to Christ, you don't really love Christ. It begins when you enter into a relationship with him. You become a Christian. Remember John 3, 16, one of the most wonderful, simple, deep passages in the Bible? For God so loved the world, he so loved you that he gave his only son that anyone who would believe in him, and believe means a commitment of your life to him, will, will not perish but will have everlasting life. You love God by, number one, entering into a relationship with Him. Here's the second thing. You make Him uniquely 
number one in your life. And folks, this is where it starts to cut. Young people, I, I, I really, Josh and I were going to draw something up. Maybe we'll mail it to you. I really wish you guys would write these things down or we'll get it to you. I wish you'd look at them the rest of your life every day. Say, you know what? Someday I'm going to stand before God. And if I want to do life great, and, and by the way, these aren't just fire insurance things. If you want to do life great, the two things I'm going to show you this morning, this is how you'll do life great. Love God first. What does that mean? You're saved. You're a Christian. And you make him uniquely number one in your life. Again, let's look in verse 30. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, Jesus was saying, man, this isn't emotional. This isn't just a feel-good thing you do occasionally. This is a life-changing thing. Folks, remember the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The Greeks had four words for love, our English word love. One word was a a word for family love that's found a time or two in the New Testament. There's a word for sexual love, eros, which is never found in the New Testament. Wasn't that God's not against sex, it just wasn't ever needed to be used in the Bible. There's the word philea for brotherly love. And then the word that's used the most in the Bible for love is a word agape, which means that you choose to love something. It means you make a choice. It's an it's a action of your will to buy your life to love and to follow or to, to show love to someone or something. God's saying, I want you to agape me. I want you to choose to put me above everything else. Okay, here sits Chad over here, Chad Goss. Chad's married to Carissa. Chad, you and Carissa, she needs to have a unique place in your life, correct? Okay, if you go home today and you say, Carissa, I love you, I love you, I love you, you would never do that because you're a real man, but you would tell her you loved her. You'd tell her you love her. But if you said, Carissa, I love you, but, man, I love this girl I work with, and I love this girl that I see in town, and that girl at the coffee shop, I love her too. I just love all of y'all. We, we'd be seeing a frying pan in your head the next time we saw you, wouldn't it, Yes, or we wouldn't see you again. Your wife or your husband does not need to be one of 15 people that you love. Amen? Well, maybe you have an open marriage. I don't know. You're really weird if that's true. It ain't true in my home. I can tell you that either way. No, your wife wants to be unique. Your husband wants to be unique. Jesus wants to be unique. Don't say Jesus is a priority of my life. Don't say Jesus is important. Jesus says, listen, love me first. Put me above everything else. I don't want to be your spare tire. I don't want to be your, your Tylenol when you got a headache. Just come to me when you need me. I want you to put me above everything. In Matthew 6, Jesus spells it out. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first Jesus. And then everything else will fall together. Young people, listen to me. You know why a lot of adults live in a constant chaos, messed up life? Because they may have money. They may have, they may have importance and significance in the world's eyes, but they don't have Christ, and he's not number one. And if Christ did number one, things don't fit together well. But when Jesus is uniquely number one, that's when your life will fit together well. Here's the last part of of loving him, and that's obeying him completely. When you love Jesus with all your heart, guys, you're going to read your Bible, you're going to come to church, you're going to hear what he says, and you're going to do what he says. Again, as a pastor, I have heard so many times, I love Jesus. 
I love Jesus. I just do whatever I want to do with my life, but I love Jesus. No, you don't love Jesus. A pastor friend of mine in Texas was telling about a dilemma. This was about 10 years ago. He had with a, with a man in his church that were really good friends. But he said, I do not know what to do with this guy. He will never come to church. His family come. His wife's begging me to try to get him to come. I can't lasso him to make him come to church. He said, I'll go talk to him. He said, man, and the guy was older and he had health problems. He said, well, my health is just too bad. I can't come to church. But he could go fishing for four hours. You following me? He could sit outside in the Texas heat and humidity for five hours at a picnic and visit with people and have fun. He could go riding for four and five hours throughout the countryside, but he couldn't go sit one hour in an air-conditioned building. But he would tell you, I love Jesus. Didn't love Jesus. He loved his imagination of what Jesus is. He loved his warm and fuzzy idea, a rabbit's foot of Jesus. But when Jesus is uniquely number one in your life, you obey him. In John chapter 14, listen to what Jesus says in verse John 14, 14. If you love me, you might do what I say. If you love me, you will consider possibly doing what I tell you to do. If you love me, you will decide in the Bible what you like and you will do that. And then you won't do what you don't think you should do because you're smarter than me. No, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? You will obey me. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. You see, Jesus takes it from the sentimental and the emotional, and he just puts feet to it. Guys, someday when you stand before God, hopefully, again, it's 100 years from now. Every one of you will live to be 118. That is the goal. You college graduates, you'll live to be 122 or 23. But someday, every one of us will stand before God. And if you want to grade out with a perfect score, with an A+, you decide today you're going to love Jesus Christ uniquely above everything else, and you're going to follow him with your life, okay? Here's the second thing. Really love people. Oh, so simple. Oh, so difficult. Oh, so hard to do. And, and this is so neat. Again, in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law, he asked Jesus of all the commandments, which is the most important? He didn't ask Jesus for two. He asked him for one. But I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, you cannot narrow it down to two. It's not 80. It's not 400. But it is two things. It's not just one. Verse 31. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The man says, well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the religious stuff that you could do. You see, 2,000 years ago, as well as today, religious people like the idea of saying, I love God. We trip when we start trying to have to love people. See, because you can say you love God, you can be religious, and you can condemn people who do stuff that you don't think they should do, and you can be self-righteous, and, and you can be all the wrong things that religion can breed in a person, but you don't love people. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. 
you love God, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and then he put Leviticus 19, 18 here. You got to love people. In 1 John, way over at the end of the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, God says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother who he can see, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And if he has given us this command, whoever loves God must love his brother. See, Jesus says this, the first thing is you sell yourself out to me. It's going to be seen by your obedience, by your priority, but it's also going to be seen how you love people. I just want to pause here and say this. For, for you people who have been Christians for a long time, you need to look at this every week of your life because you never grow, overgrow this or outgrow this. You just need to go deeper with this. Matthew twenty two forty, the sister passage, listen to what Jesus says. All the law and the prophets, everything in the, in the Old Testament hangs on these two commands. 613 laws, they all come down to two, loving God and loving people. What does it mean to love your neighbor? The Jewish people in Jesus' day took neighbor, and before Jesus took neighbor to mean fellow Jew. And literally what they thought it meant was, I could love my fellow Jews, and if you weren't a Jew, I could hate you. Convenient. The Pharisees even took it a step farther. The Pharisees believed it was this, that they could love other Pharisees and hate other people and that that was their neighbor. I was watching this show a few weeks ago on history or something, and they had some white supremacists on there. You know what those guys are? You know what they are? White. They're girls too. And they showed this guy, and, you know, he has like four teeth, and I'm, that's just an observation. I don't know if that's a qualification for being in the club, but... And, and he goes, uh, we love Jesus, we love America, and we hate black people and Jews and brown people. And I'm saying, you don't love Jesus when you don't like people who don't look like you? Then I saw a show yesterday, and it was these black Muslims, and they were calling the white devil the white devil. We hate whitey, but we love God. And I'm saying, you don't love the God of the Bible. In heaven, we're all going to be green. Did you know that? Isn't that going to be cool? <laughs> the green machine. <laughs> I have no idea what color we'll be in heaven. <laughs> but please, don't ever think that you can excuse your redneck roots for not loving people who aren't like you. And Jesus said, love your neighbor. He didn't just mean the person next to you. He meant mankind. He meant humanity. You want to score a home run with God? Listen, you can be the most religious, snooty Bible scholar in the world. If you don't love God and love people, you're a loser in God's sight. Now, how do we love people? How do we put some handles on that? Here's the, here's the first thing. Make people the number two priority of your life. God first, people second. He said in that passage, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. When I was, I don't know, I guess when I first went to college, and I wasn't a Christian, but I went to some FCA thing. And I remember the guy was talking, and he said, boys, it's faith, football, 
are faith, family, and football. And I thought, no, it's not. It's football, girls, and beer. But I didn't say that out loud. Now, I wasn't a Christian then. So. And, you know, that sounds good, doesn't it? Faith, family, you're for no more. And basketball or hockey or school. See, really, in God's economy, it's Jesus and it's people and it's everything else. I hope you love your family. But it's got to go way beyond that. Some of the meanest people in the world love their families. You love God and you love people. They're the second priority of your life. And here's the next way you flesh that out. You, and this is going to sound so simple, but, man, we miss this. You really show them love. You really show them you love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. I had a, a girl ask me one time. I was 23 years old. I just started pastor, And she said, Chris, what does that mean? And I wish I could have said, well, in the Greek, neighbor is nabos and, you know, all these fans. I couldn't. I just said, well, here's what I figure, that most of us love ourselves a whole, whole lot. <laughs> So if it says love your neighbor as yourself, it's saying love that person a whole, whole lot. Matthew seven twelve it says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Listen, when you love people, you love people like yourself. That means you're going to love them a lot. When you treat people as you want to be treated, you're going to always treat them well. No, nobody in here wants to be lied about. Nobody wants to be gossiped about. Nobody wants to be slandered. No one wants their motives and their heart questioned or checked. No one in here wants someone to come hit them in the nose or to steal their TV. Correct? Yes. Then why do we do it to other people? We don't love them. You know, I am not the brightest bulb in the, in the room, but I can tell you this. I don't gossip about myself. Do you? I mean, have you ever walked up in a conversation and they were talking about you and you can tell because they'll stop talking when you walk up? And you walk up and go, you know what? Chris is really an idiot, isn't he? Well, yeah, you are. You are. Yeah. You don't talk about yourself because <laughs> you like yourself. You know, I, I'm, I'm never going to sit in a conversation when someone's talking about my wife. Because I love my wife. And if you want to gossip about her, I hope you have enough intelligence not to do it with me sitting in the room. Why is that? It's because I love her. And when you love people, you protect them. See, this is you put handles on it. You're kind to them. You're friendly. Don't say you love people and you walk around like you are a grouch. I love Jesus. I used to call them in college the, the, the holy unhappies because they didn't smoke or drink and they'd knock that beer out of your hand, but they didn't like you either. They hated sin and they hated the sinner. <laughs> Boy, that was really impressive, isn't it? There was a book that came out a few years ago. The title of the book was Unchristian. That's the title of the book. It was written by a Christian man who for 40 years from the 60s to the early 2000s, he had done thousands of surveys and questions with people. He had asked thousands of people who were not Christians, tell us what you think of when you hear the word Christian. Nine out of ten, 90% did not say loving, did not say kind, did not say sweet. Nine out of ten said they're judgmental. 
hey, Christians, Christians have standards. Christians should have boundaries. Everything is not just right. But you know what? Christians love people despite that. Amen? Did you know someone is loving you despite some things in your life? Well, not me. I'm perfect. No, you're not. And you put handles on it by loving people, by showing you love them, being kind, being nice. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, you love them a whole, whole bunch. Several years ago, I was talking to a pastor friend in Texas. He's a pastor. He's a licensed professional counselor. He's, he's done ministry in churches and uh, psychological work with people for 25 or 30 years. And we were discussing how is God going to measure us out someday. We were talking first about this as ministers. When we stand before God, what do we need to do so God will look at us and said, you did well? Do we need our churches to be bigger? Do we need to baptize more people? Do we need to have a bigger offering? What do we need to do? Here's what we came back to. If we can stand before God someday, and God can really look at us and say, you know what, you were imperfect, but you loved me and you loved people. Jesus is going to say, you did well. Young people, listen to me for a second. Man, I wish you every bit of the success in the world that you can have academically, athletically. By the way, if you make it to the NFL or, Allie, you make it to the Olympics, remember your pastor someday. But you know, all that success, if you fail here, you fail. The other night, my wife humbled me. Happens about eight times a week. I was getting in bed and my knee was hurting. And I said, oh, man, I said, my knee is hurting. I said, as bad as I wanted to play in the NFL, I told her this. I said, I can't imagine if I'd have played football 10 more years, I wouldn't be able to walk today. I was expecting sympathy. So I got in the bed and she said, you weren't good enough. (laughs) I knew I didn't hear right. I said, what? said, you just didn't have the talent. You weren't good enough. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> she said it again. But you know, here's how after seven or eight hours of not sleeping that night, I worked through that. As much as I would have loved to play in the NFL, just so I could have told her I did. If I played in the NFL and I love God and love people, I failed. You make all the money in the world. You don't love God and love people. You become the greatest doctor, the greatest lawyer. You don't love God and love people. Ultimately, you fail. I want you to be a huge success in whatever it is God's leading you to do. But never forget, loving God and love people is the bottom line. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, right now I would just ask you to examine your hearts. How are you doing on these two things? Where are you with these two things? Honestly, where are you? 
And if you're not a Christian or you're unsure where you're seated, would you pray with me this morning? Would you pray with me? Man, cross that line with Jesus today. Just pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Jesus, I'm asking you now to come into my heart. And today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a moment. And I want to challenge you to respond to what God said to you. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to. Will you slip out? Come and talk to one of our ministers. Let us help you with this decision today. We'll be down here waiting on you. Maybe you'd like to join the church. One way you can join the church is just by coming from the balcony, from the floor, wherever you are, come and let one of our ministers help you join the church. Christian, maybe today you're doing well in these things. Keep it up. Maybe the truth is is you don't love God and people like you once did. And be it where you're standing or at the altar today, you need to repent. And you need to make the rest of your life count by really doing great in these two areas. Let's stand. And as we sing, you respond to Christ this morning. Respond to Him today.